Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. We have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, man, is it great to be back with you. It is Monday, January 21st. The year is 2019. This is episode 187 of the Anakin Florian Podcast. And Ken Flo, how about TJ DeSantis? He won't even let me announce that he is back producing this program before firing his sounder off the top, man. I don't know how I feel about it, but here we are. (laughs) It's good to have TJ back, man. But it's good to be back. Uh, It really is awesome to be talking to you, my man. Yeah, not unlike the New England Patriots, Ken Flo, we are still here, kid. And we will have some stuff on the NFL. If our audience actually wanted to hear us talk about the NFL, given those two championship games yesterday, we could do 45 minutes or an hour easily on the NFL, but I assure you we will not do that today. Uh, We're going to obviously spend most of the show on that UFC debut on ESPN. Uh, Huge win for Henry Cejudo and several others. Ray Longo going to join us here shortly. Of course, we're excited to catch up with him because we missed him in our final episode of 2018. First, though, and I'll try to keep this brief, but we just both wanted to to thank our listeners, you know, many of whom have been with us really since the show launched four years ago in 2015. And and we took two weeks off over the last two weeks, and that's something we had never done before. And we heard from a lot of you guys. And I know I speak for Kenny when I say we both really appreciated that. I just want to say off the top, there are a lot of different elements that go into a podcast, getting it sold, getting it produced. You know, Kenny and I would sit here, do the show for free. TJ DeSantis ain't going to do the show for free. And and I respect that. Um, But also making sure that if we're going to commit to do this indefinitely, as we've done for four years, that we can do it consistently every week and and churn out the content that, that, that you've come to expect. So. We feel like this is the best way for us to give back to the MMA fans around the world that have given us a lot over the years just by providing weekly content that is consistent, that is free, that is dependable. And and hopefully, Kenny, it's interesting and, and maybe unique to some of the other podcasts that are out there. But uh, we're happy to be here. New distribution partner in Revolver. Show still going to be on iTunes and SoundCloud. You'll see it on other platforms, Spotify and Pandora. No video plans as yet. But I can assure you, if we do go back to video, and hopefully we will, uh, it won't be blocked in your country, right? So the video has been exclusive to the U.S. when we were with Fox. When video comes back, the people want to see Kenny Florian live and in color. And I promise you, we're going to give the people in Australia, New Zealand, and God damn it, everywhere else what they want. But Ken Flo, here we are, and uh, I'm excited to be back, man. I got the itch. 
Well, I'm not sure they want to see Kenny Florian, but uh, I think they do want to hear the podcast, uh, uh, the feedback. uh, I mean, the DMs and and the messages on Twitter and Instagram and uh, everywhere else on social media uh, was very strong. I I guess they like us, Sanic. That's a good thing. They like you, man. I mean, if you read deep enough into the comments, you know exactly how they feel about (laughs) me. But that's okay. That's okay. Because I'll tell you, if the Patriots win the Super Bowl in two weeks, I'm going to be a complete fucking dick. So if you don't like me now, oh, just wait. I mean, just <laughs> wait. So uh, we're going to get into Henry Cejudo and, and everything else here shortly. But thank you all for sticking with us through the transition. And we love you. And we're not going anywhere. Uh, in terms of the NFL, very quickly, tweet here from Daniel Cormier. Our dear friend, my broadcast partner, Kenny, he was with his kids at the Superdome yesterday as they watched their New Orleans Saints uh, fail to advance against the Los Angeles Oof. Rams. There was a terrible call. Yeah, nothing worse than, than going to a big game and uh, having your team come up short. But D.C. was in the building, and there was a terrible call that went against New Orleans. These plays oftentimes don't hinge on one play, but in this particular instance, it kind of felt like it did. So here's the tweet from Daniel Cormier on Twitter, at D.C. underscore MMA. The NFL is rigged. Two large market teams. I can't even say this with a straight face. They have strategically placed Boston versus Los Angeles in the Super Bowl. I guess New Orleans versus Kansas City doesn't sound as sexy, right? I don't blame our man D.C. for being salty, right? The Saints have had two very bad breaks go against them in in back-to-back postseasons. But when he starts to talk about this thing being rigged for the big markets, the guy just totally loses (laughs) He's upset. I get it, double champ. But guess what? What are we calling Brady by now? What, like the 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 champ, 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 yeah. champ? I don't even know. Oh, even my know. goodness. But listen, I, I get it. He's upset. It was a terrible, terrible call. And then there were people saying, the, oh, the Patriots got lucky. That was a terrible call on the uh, on Brady, you know, when that arm that came down that didn't hit. And I get that. That was not a good call. But the Patriots had a lot of bad calls against them as well. Uh, and, of course, in the NFC game, uh, that call for the Saints, that that was obviously something that should have been called. It was not. Um, and, hey, just like this championship fight that happened on Saturday night with Cejudo and Dillashaw, you know, there's going to be some controversial calls, unfortunately. That, that's never going away. I think right. the, as far as uh, refereeing, it should be as good as it could possibly be, especially yeah. when you're talking about a league like the NFL that's been around for so long. Uh, but uh, it's unfortunate all the way around, man. And there's certainly some parallels in MMA, and we're going to get into them here shortly. Kevin McDonald, the referee in question this weekend, and I, and I do have a quote from him. He texted me after the fact, so I'll give you something there on that. But, yeah, man, I mean, it, it's a great game, and it was a great championship Sunday. And I will say to all the Patriots haters out there, of which they are many, if New England loses to the L.A. Rams uh, two weeks on February 3rd, then Tom Brady's five and four in the nine Super Bowls and will have lost two straight despite going to three in a row, which isn't very good. Right. So there's still a lot in front of the Patriots. They got to seal the deal. But uh, again, it was a tough day for the Tom Brady haters. And I guess if I didn't work for ESPN now, Ken Flo, I might have to go back to New York City and wait for Max Kellerman outside the studio and see if we could throw hands. But uh, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to push out any tweets because uh, TB12 just shuts him up on his own. All right. Henry Cejudo. Olympic gold medal in 2008, 10 years later, 2018, inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. A couple months after that, he beats Demetrius Johnson to become the second UFC flyweight champion, ending DJ's historic reign. 
And then he goes out and beats the consensus greatest bandweight of all time in 32 seconds with a knockout. Obviously, there was some controversy at the end of it. But at least can we start with Henry, the messenger, Cejudo, who has just put himself in a class uh, of fighters and combat sports athletes that just has not that much company, man. What a huge W for Henry this weekend. Uh, unbelievable, man. And listen, a lot of times you're one win away from having it change your life. And, and I think that win over Demetrius Johnson really proved to Cejudo that not only can he be a champion in the sport, but that he can be one of the all-time greats. And I think when you did something like that, when you've climbed a mountain like defeating a Demetrius Johnson, uh, a guy who many people believe to be the greatest of all time, um, it, that's going to do things for you physically, mentally, spiritually. Mm -hmm. And I think he carried that momentum and that confidence into this fight against TJ Dillashaw. And um, he went out there and took care of business. I mean, Cejudo should be called the golden boy. If there's someone who should be called yeah. the golden boy, it's Henry Cejudo, a, a guy who, you know, was on the national team in high school, uh, was the number one guy in the country in his teens, um, then went on to win gold in the Olympics, um, you know, defeating all those greats. I mean, it, it's unbelievable what he's done, both in wrestling and in combat sports. This is uh, perhaps one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time at this point. And the fact that he was able to beat an absolute killer in TJ Dillashaw. And we'll talk about Dillashaw um, on what I thought about him and how he looked. But my goodness, Cejudo is an absolute savage. I like that Golden Boy moniker. I really do. And you're right. I think that Demetrius Johnson win was sort of the the huge feather in his cap and maybe the win that uh, that his career 10, 15, 20 years from now will be remembered for. But in terms of at least his mixed martial arts legacy, forgetting about the Olympic gold medal for a second, right, this really cements that because it almost, you know, he's at the post-fight press conference and he's, uh, he's intimating, you know, how can TJ Dillashaw now go defend a belt 10 pounds north of here off a loss to the guy, you know what I mean? So this was one of the risks, of course, for Dillashaw, is that if you do lose that fight going down 10 pounds south, uh, it illegitimizes the Bantamweight Championship a little bit. But for Cejudo, legacy-wise, Kenny, this is a, a huge win. And I also think, too, for Cejudo, his mission was to win an Olympic gold medal and then to become a UFC champion, right? And so some wondered where the hunger would be going into this fight, right? Because... He put so much into beating DJ and just getting that UFC championship. Um, but clearly, like Captain Eric Albaracin said, it and sort of as you intimated, this this helped him take it to the next level. I mean, he's he's far from finished. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, just to be an Olympic athlete, you, you see the way that Cejudo moves, the kind of physical characteristics that he brings in there, um, and not only the physical characteristics, but the mental abilities to get to that level and compete at that level and, and all of the resources that he's had as an Olympic athlete is, uh, you know, a, a huge reason of, of why he's in the position he's in today in mixed martial arts as well. And you could say the same about guys like Daniel Cormier and and the Ronda Rousey's, the, the people that have competed at an elite level for a long time in sports where you are compared against some of the best countries out there. Um, it, it's just a completely different level. And the fact that he has put himself in this position now um, to be not only competent as a striker, but dangerous as a striker and good with his submissions and solid with his positioning um, just shows just how special Henry Cejudo really is. 
I want to get your thoughts on the stoppage here quickly before bringing Ray Longo into the conversation because I'm afraid a lot of our conversation with him might talk about that. I want to get you on the record first. Uh, I will just say, largely, I thought it was a little bit early, having gone back and watched it this morning, especially in a championship setting. Maybe I would like a little bit of a longer leash, um, not unlike Dana White sort of said after the fact. Uh, But generally speaking, I defer to these referees who are right there on top of it. And especially a guy in Kevin McDonald, who in my money, for my money, really is one of the better mixed martial arts referees out there. So I like that he was convicted in his decision. I did think it was a touch early. Agreed. Um, And and I can't say, listen, he was dropped twice, right? So can you say it was a bad stoppage? No. Can you say it was a great stoppage? Probably not either. And listen, this is TJ Dillashaw coming down. This is a former champion at 135 pounds fighting at 125 pounds for the belt. So this isn't just any old fight here. This is a very important fight. And I think a lot of us, uh, TJ Dillashaw included, and of course, probably Henry Cejudo as well, because now controversy is going to be kind of uh, circling his win, uh, which is but I think you kind of have to let him go a little bit longer. Uh, with that said, when I saw TJ Dillashaw in the octagon right before that fight against Cejudo, I said, he does not look right. I was watching with a few guys, and I said, yeah. he doesn't look right. He looks like I did at 145 pounds where, okay, this guy looks like he's in shape, but he doesn't <laughs> look like he's ready to fight. I mean, his body, he did not look strong to me. He did not look ready to go. He he looked way too skinny, man, and, and I don't know. Yeah. Dillashaw is amazing. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's one thing to make the weight. You can get on the scale. It's quite another thing to compete at the weight. Right. And we'll have plenty more on that later. And one quick quote here from Kevin McDonald. He texted me, I'm still confident in the stoppage based on what I had to work with, but I just feel bad when there's drama. And I think that's the rub when it comes to these referees. They just don't want to be a part of the story. Not unlike a play-by-play guy. If the show ends and no one's talking about you, ultimately that's what the goal is. But, uh, Kevin McDonald, the dust will settle, and I think he'll learn from this. And uh, again, he was convicted in his decision. I think in a lot of respects, that's all you can ask for. All right, well, a man who has been involved in no shortage of controversial fight-ending situations, the coach, the great Raymond Peter Longo. Let us get to him. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Well, I don't care if you're driving right now. Raise both hands if you missed hearing Ray Longo's voice on a weekly basis. You know, I mean, we put this guy on the show so we could talk to him every week. And when there was some concern that maybe this podcast would be going away with finality, the people were very nervous about that. Raymond, good morning. Good morning, John. You knocked it out of the park, first ESPN show. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, man. So, uh... Before we get going, man, and, and I'm happy to have you back, obviously, uh, how about y- your your boys on television this weekend? Chris Weidman and, and John Vellante and Raging Ally Quinta and Aljamain Sterling. And it, it seems to me like this was planned that if you if you missed it on the telecast, I'm not sure, Kenny, if you saw it, but that, that John Vellante, when they did a celebrity shot, that he was going to pick Chris Weidman's nose on national oh, TV. They felt like that would be the way to go, Ray. You know, yeah, TJ, I tell you, my boys were representing well. They were picking each other's noses, screaming like a pack of wild hyenas. I mean, very proud to be sitting home watching TV and watch this, this, this unfold. I got to tell you, I was like, what am I even looking at? 
Yeah, hey, man. Fighting, for God's I'm telling sake. you. I'm oh, telling you. Right. I, hey, well, you know, I think that I think the drinks were there were some heavy pours on Saturday night. But uh, no, I think they represented well, all <laughs> things considered. So uh, so I know it's been a busy few weeks for you. Obviously, you were in Japan with Uluka Sasaki. You, you watched this ESPN debut this weekend. Before we talk about Cejudo specifically, how did you feel yeah. the, the ESPN debut went on a whole? Did you notice any major changes? Did, did you like what you saw overall? Yeah, I thought it was good. I, 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 look, I, I wasn't excited about the card, but I think the fights definitely uh, lived up to everything uh, you could expect. Uh, a lot of finishes. And, uh, yeah, I thought, that, I thought it did a great job. I thought it was great having uh, Trevor Whitman in there, given his, you know, analysis. I thought that was a nice little thing. He's a, he's a good dude with a, you know, a nice perspective on things. And, uh, yeah, they, I thought they made some changes and, uh, you know, I thought you and DC, like uh, like usual, and like oh, really did a great job. And DC's definitely come into himself. I think you guys play off each other really well. I had a good time chilling out at home and watching it. No glitches with the app or anything like that, syncing it to the TV. So good. I, think, I think it was good. Well, Ray, what did you think about the stoppage on uh, on Saturday night? Did you think it was a little early? Uh, I thought, look, I thought for a championship fight, it was definitely early, for sure. Now, I don't think anything should be taken away. I don't think you could argue it. Look, because if you're a safety guy, the ref did a good job. You got to protect the guy, and I don't know if that was going to get any better for him. But as a coach and as a fan, I think uh, it's a championship fight. You have to let that go a little longer. Uh, But, you know, you know, I don't know if it would have gotten any better. It looked like uh, Cejudo was possessed, and he wasn't going to let him off the hook. So, you know, who knows? And I got to tell you, look, you know, Dillashaw, I think, kind of unraveled in the post-fight uh, yeah. you know, uh, interview. I don't think that's going to grow many fans. I thought that was, you know, you can't be a, a sore loser. Because, look, at the end of the day, he put himself in that position for the ref to even make that call. So he got there somehow. Right. So that wasn't going good for him in the 30 seconds it lasted. So... Yeah, if I'm Cejudo, I'm happy with that win. I did what, you know, that kid did what he had to do. And uh, unfortunately, I think the weight cut had a huge, huge part of that. Uh, I agree with you, man. If I want TJ, if I'm his coach and I want TJ to fight him again, I'm going to make sure it happens at 135 and not 125. But, um, you know, Ray, as, as as far as the flyweight division is concerned, uh, was that a statement for Henry Cejudo to keep this division around in the UFC? Well, you know, look, I happen to like the 125-pound division myself. And I got to tell you, man, Henry, and that's what I'm saying. If you're looking from, like, a a marketing standpoint, man, this kid comes across great. And he said it before the fight. He wants to sit that division. I mean, that night was a home run for Henry Cejudo on a million different levels. I thought he spoke well. He articulated everything really nicely. He came out there guns blazing. And and the TJ kind of said it himself. Right? He didn't expect the guy to be that aggressive. Well, you know that's what that's what happens. But I think he made a statement for the division. I don't know if it's enough, but you know I have two 125 pounders that got let go: Suzaki and uh, uh, this other kid, who's really good. You know what I mean? I got him fighting on the local circuit in a couple of weeks. But uh, you know, so for me, it, it kind of stinks too. And I think these guys, you know, they. There's other young kids in the gym when they heard that division was leaving that were little guys. They were they were kind of like blown away. They were upset, like, you know, that's what they were looking for. They were looking to 
you know, to fight in the UFC one day, and that is being told that the division doesn't even isn't going to exist. So I hope they keep it around. I'm I'm a big fan of the one twelve fighters. Yeah, I think there's fight. Look, look at Benavidez fight with with the other kid he fought. I mean, those scrambles were unreal. I mean, they they were back and forth. And if you're a fan of fighting, that was some pretty cool shit I was looking at. Yeah, no, there's certainly enough talent to sustain the division, but I think more salient is your point off the top that here you have this guy in Henry Cejudo that is so marketable and just so well-versed in all the areas you'd like him to be well-versed in as a champion and as a brand ambassador. Oh, and by the way, this is far and away the best weight class for him, right? I don't even have to see him go up to 35 to know that he was custom-made to compete in mixed martial arts at 125 pounds. So if you're Dana White, though, Ray, if you're Dana, right, what do you do? Right, because you you have Rafael Asuncao and Marlon Moraes waiting in the in the wings at 135 pounds. They fight in a main event two weeks from now, so that'll give you some clarity at 35. I mean, do you run this thing back because it only lasted 32 seconds? And if you do, which weight class do you do it in? Uh, look, I think look again from a you know a likability standpoint. You know, the worst. Illashaw got the better Henry Cejudo got. You know what I mean? The more he pounded, the more that guy said, I'll fight you at any weight class. So I, I think it's fair to fight at 135. I think I think it was, you know, I believe uh, Illashaw was very, you know, focused on making that weight, which is admirable. And I think he deserves a shot at 135 um, against Cejudo. And I think Cejudo will do it. So I'm Dana White. I make that fight at 135. The the only thing I think that's probably the the right move um, logistically. The the only thing is, what does that say about the 125 pound division? You know what I mean? It, it doesn't bode well for that division if he lets that happen. Well, that's uh, that's a good point. You know, I'm you asked. I mean, I'm saying that's what I think is the right thing from that, like a right yeah. standpoint. You know what I mean? I think right. that's the right thing. That's admirable. But no, if it's gonna crush the 125 division, then I say no, but I wouldn't want to say no at the expense of saying Henry doesn't want to fight him at 135 because I think Henry yeah. will fight him at any weight class. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's right to him, but I wouldn't want to see the 125-pound division crushed because he goes up for a super fight. You know, let him take a title defense at 25 and then do the fight in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ask you about Greg Hardy at the expense of getting your take on Gregor Gillespie. So time permitting, I'm going to lead with Gillespie, who is now 6-0 and in the UFC, I think 13-0 and overall. He has the longest finish streak, I believe, in the UFC. And this is a New Yorker who I think can be the UFC lightweight champion of the world. I think there are a couple matchups in that top five that maybe aren't all that favorable. But what are your thoughts on Gillespie and just how attritive he is, man. I mean, I, I understand Yancey Medeiros didn't have a number next to his name, but this Gillespie is going to be a problem, in my mind, for a lot of guys in this top ten. Yeah, well, I mean, look, obviously, from a control standpoint, the guy's phenomenal. DC said it on the uh, broadcast, and he's right. When Gillespie gets on top of you, he is really hard to shake off. So, I mean, look, the only time will tell – to see he's got to definitely up his competition to see what happens there but he's definitely on the right track and i can tell you for anybody is you know him getting on top of you he's he's definitely a problem what i what i've heard through the grapevine and you know i had there was a kid in the gym that that wrestled him in college and you know i looked at the match his his riding time or his top control is, is pretty fucking good man so he's playing to his strengths 
I don't know if that's going to be a crowd favorite or not, but uh, right. You know, he's definitely he's definitely going to be wrestling for sure. And Kenny, I'll get your thoughts. What he did. Uh, what, what was that? No, nothing. Go ahead. No, no, and I think that's it. He's if you look right now. I think we have to step up the competition, but he definitely looks like he's got what it takes to become a champion. All right, Kenny, I'll get your thoughts on Gillespie later in the show. Last thing, Ray, Greg Hardy uh, gets disqualified due to an illegal knee in his UFC debut against Alan Crowder. Your thoughts? I mean, come on, man. What, what do you expect at this point? I mean, this is <laughs> going to be another another travesty unfolding in front of our eyes. I mean, the guy, is he wanted out of that fight. It didn't go his way. I, I don't even know the guy. I don't know anything about him, but I got to tell you, by the eyeball test, that guy's not looking too good. You know, he's really, uh, I, that knee to me was un- intentional to get out of the fight. Is he was gas sitting on that stool. He looked completely lost in between rounds. And uh, the one thing he does, he doesn't have power, but that's definitely not going to be enough to get him anywhere in this division. You know yeah. what I mean? So. I think it's a. I think the guy's a lose lose all the way around. Uh, Again, is anybody surprised by that? You know, like I think Stephen Smith said, well, everybody's going to go back and look at. You know, the the, what do you want us to look at? You know, his track record sucks. Yeah. What he wants to make something up that he's a good guy. He's got. You got to prove it. Actions speak louder than words. Tell me. Show me you're a good guy. Do something good. That was horrible. And he could have really, really hurt that guy. That's a big, powerful guy who took a free shot on a guy on one knee. And that's fucking bullshit. Well, yeah, I mean, it was certainly the worst case scenario for him. I think you made a lot of good points. I would respectfully disagree. I did not think it was intentional. I did not think it was full velocity, which would have been disastrous for Alan Crowder. One thing I did take issue with, and I'm not playing devil's advocate here necessarily, but it seemed like Dan Mergliata was so upset in some part because of Greg Hardy's past as a domestic abuser, right? I thought Dan Mergliata in this instance just was, was so angry and bordering on unprofessional to say to the entire arena, Crowder within earshot, you know, it was almost as if the foul happened and he's like, you know what? That guy hit a woman in the past. So if that guy can't continue, I'm disqualifying him. And people are going to think I'm crazy maybe for saying that, but I just thought in the moment, I thought it was just a, a very green martial artist who gassed, who who made a rookie mistake. I, I totally disagree with those who think this was intentional. Right, okay, let me ask you something. For a, a real green rookie martial artist, should he have been the co-main event on the no, Barclays card? he should not. Exactly. So what, what, but what does anybody expect, though? So who made the rookie mistake? The UFC made the rookie mistake by putting him there. I, I don't disagree, but if but if another guy, yeah, in no. my opinion, if another guy who was three and zero had an illegal knee like that, you know, he would certainly be given some sort of benefit of the doubt. But because it's Greg Hardy, I feel like people are just going to pile on and, and just destroy destroy this guy. Right, right, yeah. I'm just I, saying, I, man. I, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not no, saying no, it because I'm a UFC you. employee, you know. No, 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 definitely not. No, no, no. We're not talking. We're, we're trying to be, you know, frank. But, uh, yeah. man, I, I don't know, man. I, I just think that whole situation could have been avoided. I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I, I don't think the guy should have been there in the first place. I thought, you know, the first round didn't go like his other fights have went. I think 
he's a guy that found a way out. Not not intentionally like to knee him, but in his head, I'd rather get disqualified than gas out in front of everybody. That that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that I think that's the mindset I'm coming from. Not like he wanted to, like even hurt the guy. But I, then when I say intentional, like that, that was a lot of leg time in there, man. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like you were in the heat of the moment. It wasn't one of those deals where you're scrambling around and you're just swinging and you happen to catch the guy in the back of the head. You know, it was like one Mississippi, two Mississippi. You right. know, and then the guy gets knee. You're right. It wasn't a full force knee. It looked like a glance, but it's still the implication of. Why? Yeah. You know, you know, a rookie mistake, you don't know the rules. So when you're a rookie, you don't know that, you know, three strikes and you're out or, you know, you, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. I'm not, I, I'm having a hard time swallowing that for sure. Right. So, uh, well, it's great to have you back. It's great to have the podcast back on a weekly basis here on Mondays. Last thing before we let you go, like, do you miss being on camera or is this nice? Cause now you only have to get like three haircuts a year oh, instead is- of five. <laughs> No, this is horrible. This is this is absolutely horrible. I miss seeing you guys. Yes, a hundred percent miss seeing you guys. I, I want to see the Longo Baby Blues. This is ridiculous. I, I can't. I, mean, I can't look at horrible. this. Wait, I know. Wait, wait, John. John, are you are you saying we're never getting video on this no. podcast? No, we will hopefully within a few weeks, and it will be worldwide. Ray, my modeling contract is have kind of put this on freeze <laughs> yeah, for a little yeah. bit. We got to work it out. So once we get that figured out, I'm so uh-huh. upset. I got a haircut, and I'm not on video today. I, I have no idea. Very upset. All right, we'll try to get another haircut later in the week, and we'll talk to you next Monday, buddy. Thank you. All right, guys, really good to be back. And I really thought the love you guys got on Twitter and that we all got, but, you know, I thought it was fascinating. It was was great. Nice to know that people actually listen and give a shit, and we make their day. So good stuff, man. Thank you for everybody who really tweeted out, you know, get the show back on. And thank you, Ray. Yeah, good, good talking to you guys. I'll see you soon. All right, there it is, the Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anik and Florian podcast. And we will circle back to TJ Dillashaw, Kenny, in a second, but might as well stay on Greg Hardy here. You know, maybe rookie mistake isn't the best language. I understand he trains every day in the gym knowing that this is the rule set, but I don't know. I've never been in there. I think sometimes there are instincts and things get in the way. I just I just feel like he was so upset after the fact on the bus. He was like crying, right, that his UFC debut was ruined. He did all the right things during fight week. He has treated our staff like gold. I just feel like he made an in-fight mistake. Am I am I nuts? Well, listen, emotions do get the best of you, right? Um, and, and it's unfair uh, in a lot of ways, right? I, I think... Man, when someone does something, uh, you know, like what Greg Hardy did, it's going to be hard to recover from that. Anything you do now, you're going to be the bad guy no matter what. And I do believe that people can change their lives around. Uh, Hopefully that's the case with Greg. I don't know that to be true or not. I I, I know nothing about the guy. I hope he does. I I hope he's learned from his mistakes and becomes that good guy that we can all be, uh, you know, proud of. But I don't know, man. Like, you know, listen, I, I think the emotions probably got the better of him. I don't think he did that on purpose, but for a lot of people, they looked at that and they said, Of course he did that. Right. That was of you know, of course, Greg, you know, he was gonna do that. So right. uh it, it was unfortunate. I, I think that the big thing is this though. Like for me, why is the UFC putting this guy in a co main event? Why? Right. Because of the attention that he gets, 
Um, you know, it, it's not because of his fight experience. It's not because uh, they think he's a guy who's going to fight for the belt in one or two fights. Right. So why are you putting this guy in that situation? I, I don't think it's fair to him, and it's not fair to the other fighters, and it's not fair to the, it's not fair to anything. Like it, it it did not make sense at all. And, and why it, the UFC continues to put these guys, uh, uh, the Page Van Zants, the Sage uh, Northcuts. Um, you know, Francis Ngannou in these situations, right. sometimes they come through, but I tell you what, 90% of the time they do not yeah. build them up, build right. these guys up. Why are you putting them in these situations? Now, I don't think Crowder, I think Crowder was the right matchup, the right matchup for the most yes. part, but don't put them in a co-main. I, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand where this is coming from or why they're doing this this early to a guy in his career. Yeah, well, largely I agree, and I know TJ has something on this, so I'll bring you in in a second. But I think there's a Frances Ngannou parallel to be drawn, right? I think you have to isolate the heavyweights a little bit, flow, right, sure. because of what heavyweight MMA is for mixed martial arts. I mean, you know they, he they headline heavyweights all the time, right? So I think there's a heavyweight component to that. And I also think, unless I'm missing something, this is the most credentialed, most accomplished football player to ever step foot on that octagon, right? This was a second-team All-Pro, uh, an NFL Pro Bowler, guy who had 26 sacks combined over two seasons in 2012 and 2013. So I think you parlay the football pedigree with the fact that he's a heavyweight, and maybe that's why he got the push, right? But I agree with you. Uh, it should have been training wheels, and uh, at least in terms of the card slot, uh, and it was not. TJ, what do you have? Something I want to bring up, and, and this goes back to you know what jurisdiction has adopted the unified rules and not ever since the whole... Playing the game has been introduced uh, with kneeing to the head of a downed opponent. Um, we, we talk about this, and, and I think it's time. It's 2019. We've changed the rules uh, over and over and over again. It's time to let knees to the head of a downed opponent be legal. There's no difference kneeing a guy on a knee compared to in the fence and in a plum clinch. I think, honestly, more often than not, you're going to find that the power to uh, a downed opponent with a knee is probably lessened um, when when they're on the floor. So, like, I, I just why why are we still arguing this? We we need to change the rule that way. I think my only my only counter to that, TJ, is that if he's hurt on the ground and or out, that's when it that's where it gets tricky. Is now we have to depend on the referee, where we've seen a lot of mistakes, where guys have followed up with shots when they didn't need to. I mean, a punch after a shot is going to be different than, let's say, someone f dropping a damn knee down on that person when they're already out. And, and that's the big danger. The, the big danger happens when someone is already concussed or knocked out, and the follow-up shot is the real dangerous one. And if it comes in the form of a knee, I, I think that could be absolutely devastating and more devastating than, say, an elbow or a fist. We have yeah. 10 and years. I, that, that's, my, that's my issue with it. We have 10 years of examples of knees to the head of a downed opponent being legal in pride fighting championships. And I can only recall one time that there were you know, knees that I think really altered uh, a fighter's career. And that was Mark, Mark Coleman fighting Alon Goez. And Goez was, what, 45, 50 pounds lighter than him? So, well, yeah. these athletes are, are a whole I, lot better I, now. I agree, but the, I think it's a. Yeah, it's a different sport, TJ. You know, I think back in back in Pride, I, I agree with you that you know, we, luckily we didn't have anything happen. But first of all, there weren't as many events as they're happening now, and the athletes and the and the and the techniques are so much more devastating than they yeah, were back yeah. then. You know, so yeah, yeah I kind of I kind of I kind of agree with you, TJ. But also, I, 
if there's something that might push us over the line where someone could get killed or or really badly injured, I would say we we, we need to be a little bit safer. I, I don't yeah. know. TJ's just just cold blooded, Ken Flo. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on your side of this. Uh, real quick on the main event in terms of the TJ Dillashaw stuff, and I will say too. When I said all class out of you in the post-fight interview, yes, it was a, a poor choice of wording. Uh, I think it more, for me, spoke to everything that he had done over the last 12 weeks and the way he handled himself during fight week. Uh, he's one of my favorite people on the roster, and uh, I, I think it's hard for anybody after a loss like that to sort of put it into context. He wanted the microphone. I sort of intimated, and he said yes, so I went over there and we did it, and that's a decision that uh, me and the UFC live production team is just going to have to live with Kenny. He also, I don't know if you saw on him, Henry Cejudo's Instagram page when he woke up and had some time removed from the result. TJ apologized. You know, he congratulated Henry sort of more sincerely and said he apologized for denigrating the win a little bit. So obviously it was a forgettable post fight press conference for Dillashaw when he didn't really own the loss. But uh, at the very least, he did do so after the fact the morning after. I saw that. I saw that he went on uh, Cejudo's Instagram and you know, listen, we're human at the end of the day. We all make mistakes. We get emotional. Losing in the octagon is the worst feeling in the world, especially when you're talking about high stakes like that. Uh, and sometimes we let our emotions get the better of us. And TJ Dillashaw, one of the more competitive people you will ever meet in your life, he felt that he should have had uh, at least a, a few more seconds to go out there and and, and continue to fight. Um and he didn't get that. He's bitter about it. And uh, I, I totally understand it. And uh, it, it's unfortunate all the way around. Now, Dillashaw said he was far more injured or compromised when he got cracked by Cody Garbrandt in the first round of their first meeting before going on to knock Cody out than he was in this particular situation. But largely, Kenny, I, I would agree with you in terms of TJ Dillashaw's flyweight future. I did think he looked small. I think he asked a tremendous amount of his body over 12 weeks. And I'm not even sure that the Sam Calavitas of the world, you know, his exercise physiologist, um, can quantify exactly, right, other than just the sheer numbers, how it affected TJ and his chin and how it would have affected him in a 25-minute championship fight. I'd like to see this fight at 135 pounds. And I think for Henry, if you were going to say he didn't, with zero title defenses, deserve to go up and challenge TJ and become a two-division champion, now having beaten TJ, I think he's absolutely worthy of a shot to become a simultaneous two-division champion. I think this applies to everyone and everything, and and it's our biggest strength can also be our weakness. And I think that same kind of mentality that makes TJ Dillashaw feel invincible is the same thing that made him vulnerable in this fight at 125 pounds. As fighters, we're, we're supposed to believe that we are unbeatable, that we can do anything, we can achieve anything. There's no man that we can't beat up. But, you know, at 125 pounds, Dillashaw just did not look healthy. He did not look like a healthy athlete that is ready to fight. Uh, mentally, he might have felt it, but physically, he just didn't look like it uh, to me. And um, yeah. it, it's unfortunate because I'm sure Dillashaw did everything right. There was so much discipline involved. There was so much sacrifice just to make that weight. But when I saw him on fight night, I was really nervous for him because, again, yeah. I, I saw myself at 145 pounds and I just did not look healthy. I didn't look like my body was ready to go out there and fight another professional athlete. He looked way too skinny. He looked like he lost a lot of muscle. I was looking for him to really put that weight back on and look healthy again, and he didn't. 
his eyes didn't look right to me. His right. neck, his arms, he just he just looked completely sucked out. And you never know how the body's going to react to something drastic like that. You right. are denying your body calories and calories and training like an absolute animal. Of course, you're not going to feel the same than when you're actually able to eat like you normally eat. It, it, right. it just doesn't work that way. You can right. you can pretend it's going to be like a certain way, but he's fighting a, a Henry he's fighting a Henry Cejudo, an Olympic athlete, a champion, a guy who had beaten Demetrius Johnson. This isn't just another 125 pounder. You're going to need every advantage you can get. And he didn't put himself in that situation to win. Yes, if he's going to fight Cejudo again, make sure it's 135 pounds. I know you didn't give a prediction because we were not live a week ago, but I know given the text message you sent me that you would have changed your pick to Cejudo right when you saw yeah. Dillashaw in the octagon, even if you had picked TJ because you just you didn't like the visual. And uh, I think because he came in and was the first one to weigh in and was on weight early, you know, I think a lot of people were encouraged by that. But again, as I asked him when I emceed the weigh-in, you know, I, I stole your line. It's one thing to make the weight. It's another to compete at the weight. And I know the yeah. sample size here is short. It was only 32 seconds, but huge win for the messenger Henry Cejudo we're going to talk to him the next few weeks here he actually asked to come on the show today but logistically we're just trying to keep everything tight today because gotcha. he wants to talk to you oh I want to talk to I want to talk to my he wants Cejudo. to talk to you about the whole snake routine yes. that you didn't love before the fight so <laughs> I told the captain Eric about a scene that that we're gonna have him on the pod he's like oh he wants it he wants a Kenny Florian interview he wants that that flow interview so all right let's yeah. do it let's do it so right. uh so what do you make of Gregor Gillespie poor guy had all of his stuff his wallet his backpack his everything oh. stolen after the fight which is really unfortunate went to do an interview he came back all his shit was gone so you know obviously the wrestling credentials are are pretty much unparalleled you know four-time all-american freshman he was an all-american national champion um and really has put in seemingly all the right work since aligning with keith trimble at the belmore kickboxing academy six and oh in the ufc and his thesis statement on this fight kenny is you want me to get the finish let me do it my way and say what you want about the level of competition. Say what you want about how aesthetically pleasing his style is. Um, but nobody's been able to handle him and he's, he's putting these guys away, right? It's a Kamaru Usman's beaten guys 30 to 24 on the scorecards, but not necessarily putting guys away. I mean, Gillespie's getting all of these men out of there. Well, listen, I, I think that his style is one that suits what he uh, what his strengths are. Uh, he's sticking to it. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, screw what people want to see. You got to do what's going to get you the win, period. And I think Gregor Gillespie is sticking to what makes him great. Um and we also should remember that that was the knock on Habib Nurmagomedov. That's why he probably didn't get a, a title shot for so long. He didn't have a lot of the flashy knockout wins and crazy submissions that other guys uh, had. But he was slowly but surely dismantling w every guy in that division one by one. And I think that's kind of what Gillespie is doing here. Now, we haven't seen Gillespie at uh, against high-level competition. Uh, Yancey Medeiros, uh, I think, is a tough guy. Uh, I thought I thought he hung in there for a very long time. Uh, this was him going back down to 155 pounds. I don't think he looked great at 155, to be honest. He just, again, just looked a, a little too uh, meager and, and, and skinny, I think, at that weight. Medeiros is an absolute professional, but I don't think he was the guy to really challenge Gillespie and, and let us know it. Is this is this a guy who could be a champion in, in, in this weight class? Now, yeah. I think he matches up against Habib Nurmagomedov perhaps better than anyone else out there just based on his wrestling credentials and his style. 
Can he uh, get back to the top, or can he get to the top like a Habib Nurmagomedov? I'm not sure. I, I yeah. think that the kind of pressure that he brings in there is phenomenal. His takedowns are absolutely phenomenal. He will take down a lot of guys en route uh, to the top, perhaps. But he does take a lot of damage. I think the difference between him and Habib Nurmagomedov is that Habib didn't take a whole lot of damage. Now, he didn't take any damage in that fight against Medeiros. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure people are scratching their heads going, what is he talking about? Medeiros right. landed one shot, if any. Uh, but in some of the other fights, Gillespie does get tagged. Um, yes. Habib di doesn't really take any damage, if any, uh, right. in his fight. So that would be the only thing that concerns me. Now, I'm yeah. sure Gillespie's getting better in that regard. Uh, so I'm curious to see how Gillespie can do as he gets closer uh, to the top 10 in that division. So yeah. um, I love his style. I love his attitude. Um, and I also love the way that he could match up against a, a guy like a Habib Nurmagomedov if he's still around. Yeah, you summed it up perfectly. I think Tony Ferguson's a guy who's a far tougher matchup for him than Khabib Nurmagomedov, yes. not to say that the betting line would be all that much different. But uh, we'll see. Gillespie came in number 15 in the world and uh, – Certainly think at some point now he's going to get uh, that big name type or even get somebody in that Felder Vic class, right? Somebody who can at least challenge him on that next level. I would also say on Yancey Medeiros. So he's walking now, Flo, at 160 pounds, right? It's a completely plant-based diet. When he oh. spars regularly with Max Holloway, oftentimes, dude, he's he's given up like 20, 25 pounds. Max is Max. bigger than him. Yeah, yeah Max by is like than him. a yeah. significant margin. So wow. Yancey, despite being near six feet, I think he's going to drop down to featherweight now um, just because he has. Wow. I, it's, it sounds crazy, but yeah. when he sits across yeah. from you and says, I agree with you, Kenny, totally agree yeah. with you. But when he sits across from you and says, I've been 160 pounds for two months and I'm fighting at 55 and you're suggesting that, you know, I, he, if he's going to stay at 55, I think he's got to figure out a way to put on a little bit of muscle mass and cut a little bit of weight or it's going to be tough. I agree, my man. And listen, again, it's one thing to make the weight. It's another to compete at it. And yeah. at 160, you know, if he's walking at 160, that's great. You know, that, that that's awesome. But should he? Should he be fighting at 155? I, I, I don't – or at 145? I, I don't think so, man. I, I really don't. I know he's closer, much closer at 145. But I think you have to give your body – uh, the ability to be in the best position possible to go out there and compete. And I don't know if that would be the right decision at 145. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that's interesting. He switched to a plant-based diet. That's great. Is he getting all the nutrition? Is he doing it right? Is he a strong 160? You could right. be a 160. Are you a strong 160? Right. Right. Are you a guy that's feeling that same kind of strength and horsepower that you did at 170 or 155? I think is a different question, but... Uh, I wish him the best of luck. They, that guy's a true class act. I've never seen him uh, complain or, or act like a jerk or, or get in trouble or anything like that. That guy's uh, uh, a guy I really respect, Yancey. He's, he he's is, a good man. dude. Just such an infectious way about him and his dad. His dad, I, I said to his dad, I was like, dude, I like your sweatshirt. Dad rips the sweatshirt off and gives it to me. I'm like, no. He's like, take the sweatshirt, you know. Wow. But, yeah, no, he is, he is the sweetest guy on the roster. And. Yeah, man, I'm 159 pounds this morning. I'm not a strong 159, just as an example, right? Like, I am not a strong 159. All right, a couple other winners I want to get to. Uh, shout out Glover Teixeira. Nice win for him. Big win for Paige Van Zant as well. But I got to get to Donald Cowboy Cerrone here. Huge win as betting underdog against Alexander Hernandez, who you heard from here on the Anakin Florian podcast a couple weeks ago. So you have always had a very good read on Cowboy Cerrone, right? Whether it comes to the training camp he's put in or the matchup that he is in. 
I would just like to lead with the fact that I think he is at a, a level of motivation and focus that maybe he has never been at before. And in, in two back-to-back fights here um, that had a lot of heat on them, he has just performed really flawlessly. Your thoughts on Cowboys' win over the very talented Alexander Hernandez this weekend? I, I think Cerrone has always been limited by himself and his mental approach. And I think that there is a certain focus and look in his eye that I don't think we've seen. Cerrone is one of the toughest individuals you will meet in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. But I think you nailed it. That the last few fights, there is something different. I think a lot of it has to do with the motivation that has come from the birth of his son danger and and I think that uh, you know and he has said it himself I I have a reason to fight now this isn't just some fun hobby crazy thing that Cowboy Cerrone does right Uh, on his daily list of activities you know he's always looking for that thing that's going to give him that adrenaline rush this is a little bit different now he now he's not just looking to buy all these toys he realizes he needs to provide for his son he needs to set an example for his son all those things and I think that has pushed him to another level, and I was ner- I got to be honest, I was nervous for him in this matchup against uh, Hernandez because oh, yeah. uh, of the pressure style that he has, the wrestling that he brings, the power that he brings, the fact that he's a southpaw who likes to back guys up. I, I think those are always the toughest matchups for guys uh, like Donald Cerrone. But Cerrone went out there and showed he is a different guy mentally uh, and and technically as well. He's he's committing to his techniques. He's not doubting himself. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I was blown away, man. I, unfortunately I missed the, I missed the first round. I did see the finish. I saw the second round. Um, it, it was a hell of a fight. I was upset that I missed that first round, but man, Cerrone, uh, I think just earned himself against that possible fight against Conor McGregor that he wanted. Yeah, I agree. And if you are an Alexander Hernandez fan, and if you were able to hear him on our show a couple of weeks ago, you know that this guy Uh, at least outside the octagon, is just a very cerebral, thoughtful, determined guy. I just want to read his post on Instagram because I just thought he couldn't have handled this loss much better. Congratulations, Cowboy Cerrone. You taught me something invaluable in defeat. Perhaps the best, worst thing that ever happened to me was a 42-second knockout debut. I go into every fight feeling untouchable and expecting a repeat of the same occurrence. I prepare myself in the moments prior for an execution in the first round and not a fight. I need to learn to fight. I need to address my approach I brought the fight to Cerrone, and where he made adjustments I did not experience is a costly bitch. He went on to say, the triumph of adversity is what makes a man and defines legends. I will be back, and you will know what I mean, what I say next time you see me. This is good pain. So I think he's a guy who really will learn from this and maybe make some adjustments to his style. And and again, I think will be a problem in this lightweight division uh, in the long term. He gets it. That guy gets it. It, he, He understands that. You know what? We make mistakes, and and it's the smart people that really learn from those mistakes. And now that's more intel, that's more information to make the proper adjustments and be better as a fighter overall. That's what you're looking for. When you fight a guy like Cerrone with all that experience, you have the ability, win or lose, to steal that experience, to see what they do, to see how they make you vulnerable, to see what your weaknesses are. That's what it's about. It's a fight against yourself at the end of the day. And the fighters that we face are the guys that give us that information on what we need to improve technically, spiritually, mentally, physically. 
All right, it was also a big weekend for Fortis MMA. Alonzo Menafield wins his UFC debut in style, knocks out Vinicius Moreta. Jeff Neal did to Bilal Muhammad what no one has done to Bilal. Remember the name Muhammad. He wins unanimous decision 30 to 27 times two, a 29-28 as well. I thought Jeff Neal was one of the night's biggest winners. And the last thing, Kenny, I just want to get your thoughts on Dennis Bermudez. Not the fight itself, but just ending a four-fight losing streak and going out a winner, retiring at 32 years old after 17 UFC fights. So he had lost his previous fight to maybe Rick the Gladiator Glenn. Fourth consecutive loss, right? 32 years old. Goes home, plays video games for a couple months. He's sort of biding his time trying to figure out what he wants to do. Decided he was going to make one more run at it to try to go out with a win. We didn't necessarily know he was going to retire, but the fact that he invoked the word with me in conversation Tuesday, I think, led me to believe that maybe he would if he had won. So he's he went for a run on Christmas Eve, and when he got back, the call came in that it was going to be at 55. He only had a couple weeks, right, to prepare, and I think that worked to his benefit. But just feel good for a good guy who has kids who just really – was going to retire, win or lose, but, you know, nice to be able to go out with a win and to go out healthy. Without a doubt, man. Listen, um, I think that uh, going out on a win is a great thing. I think he was well aware of his situation in the UFC and what he needed uh, to do for himself, uh, where he was at in his career and what was uh, going to be possible. And by that, I mean, you know, was he going to fight for a title one day? Probably not, unfortunately, at 145 with all the competition and the struggles that he's experienced. Right. Um, and I think the fact that he was able to put that in perspective and say, you know what, I'm going to give it one more chance. Um, and if I get this win, I'm going to go out on top. I have a lot of respect for that guy. And, um, you know, he's also a smart guy. There's a lot of different things that Dennis Bermudez can do, both as a coach, yes. yep. as an athlete, whether it's in wrestling, mixed martial arts and um, I, I wish him the best man yeah man well it was a great weekend a huge ESPN debut ESPN plus signed up signed up over 568,000 new subscribers on Friday and Saturday and if you annualize that and all those people are signed up for 12 months you know $60 a year that's 34 million dollars so very exciting uh, for the UFC to have made that type of imprint um, obviously for me it was great to come full circle the only thing that would have been better if my man Ken Flo was to my right I know at some point Flo is gonna is gonna be there with me and he's gonna address his television future at some point but I gotta think for you um, and I know a lot of fans were asking me about Ken Flo oh, Peter Welch was like dude Get over here. Where's Ken Flo? Who's this <laughs> fucking Daniel Cormier guy? But, Kenny, I got to think for you as a guy who sort of pioneered the MMA coverage at ESPN back in 2008, um, that even though at least for this show in Brooklyn you weren't there, to see the UFC on ESPN had to feel like you had a small piece in that, my man. It's awesome, man. Listen, I've been a part of this sport for a very long time to the point where uh, you know, when I was on, when I was filming the ultimate fighter, I said, there's no way they're going to allow this on television. There's no way. So from all the things that we've done, you know, from spike television to you know, the fact that you and I uh, started this thing called MMA live over at ESPN.com. Then it had moved over to ESPN two. Then we were over at Fox. Now we're back at ESPN. It shows that people want to see the sport and it gives an outlet for uh, these amazing professional athletes to go out there and perform uh, for all these fans that are just uh, very excited uh, to watch these fights. And, um, you know, I thought it was a great way to kick off the year. And, um, you know, I, I hope that partnership works out very well uh, for both the fans and the fighters and, and, and the organization. And, uh, you know, it, it was cool to see, man. I, I thought it was a nice, uh, a clean broadcast. 
and I know you don't always watch the ceremonial weigh in, but if you look at my phone here, I wore the MMA Live t shirt on stage. That's but, amazing, but, yes, dude. That's goddamn right, I did. So I figured yes. my, my, my boss, Zach, Zach Candido, was in the air. Uh, and Craig Borsari, by the way, had a nasty pectoral injury. So figured I could squeeze that MMA Live t shirt on the stage, and nobody got mad at me for it. But uh, also, just want to say in closing to, uh, to two guys that Kenny and I worked with very closely uh, the late John Zare and the late Anthony Mormile. I know you were very close with both of those men, Kenny. And, man, hopefully they were smiling down on us from somewhere over the weekend because UFC Fight Night, as it stands on ESPN or ESPN+, Plus, it just does not happen without John Zare and Anthony Mormile and Kieran Portley and, and so many other people. And, uh, you know, as we cross the goal line, so to speak, this weekend, obviously we were thinking about Z and the big man, and, and, and hopefully they're happy about what a lot of people were able to accomplish this weekend somewhere. All right, last thing before I go. I booked a flight to Atlanta this morning for Super Bowl 53. Oh, get out of so here. I said to myself, if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are able to get back to one, that, that I would go, right? Because this is the ninth yep. one that they have gotten to, and I haven't gone yet. So I do not have a ticket. It's a CBS broadcast, so I'm not getting any help from Fox or ESPN. I don't have a ticket, but I have a plane ticket. It's a one-way. I'm going to drive my ass back to Florida right after the game, win or lose. But somehow, some way, I'm going to try to get in that building and uh, and see what I can do. So that's awesome, dude. I'll leave you with you, that. Maybe you've inspired me to try to do the same. I, I wonder if I can get get some tickets for us somehow. That'd be sick. Well, that hey, the ticket right now it's looking like four G's for a nosebleed, which that doesn't you know that that isn't wetting my twin brother's appetite. But I'll keep you in the loop. Um, and if somehow, some way we can make this thing happen, I just think I, there's there's no worse feeling I would think in the world than going to a Super Bowl and having your team lose and having uh, to drive nine hours back to right. South Florida. But, you know, you only live once, I think, is what the kids say. Right. YOLO or something like that. So uh, <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I've been to an AFC championship game. Once oh, or wow. twice. I've never been to a Super Bowl. I went to the World Series this year. Now I'm like addicted. Like now I got to hit them all. I got I, I got to go. Uh, to an NBA Finals game, and and I now I got to go to the uh, to the Super Bowl at some point, man. So, uh, shit, the Patriots are in it. Why not? Maybe we'll see if the Anakin Florian podcast account can make a contribution. Oh, I like you know. We'll see how that goes. All right, that is it for this week. Uh, thank you to Ray Longo. Thanks to TJ DeSantis. Great to have him back at the controls. I think that goes without saying. TJ, uh, we will be back in fewer than seven days. We will have a preview and Ken Flo's predictions for UFC Fight Night: A Sunsal versus Marais Two. That is Saturday, February second, from Fortaleza, Brazil. It is yours, wall to wall, on ESPN Plus. And in so doing, we will start our 2019 main event challenge. Don't worry. I will pay off the power hour here in the next couple months as well. With that, for Kenny Florian, I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening. We are both grateful to be back in your lives, and we will be again in a week. Until then, yo fucking later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let sports garden. Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. 
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.